0: The sermon text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. These are the words of God. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. Pour out your spirit now and drive it home here in our midst that we might know that Christ is in us. And having Christ in us, us, we might know you, our Father, and we might have a good hope to share with those who ask. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. The message today is on being ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you. On being ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you, and in particular, being ready to give your testimony. And uh, and I want to. It's particularly aimed at our community where um, perhaps we don't talk about giving our testimony enough as often as we might. Particularly, perhaps aimed at. Uh, the generations coming up, generations that have grown up in the faith, um, and when asked, what's your testimony, sort of have a look at, like, well, I was born here. (laughs) That's a good start. It's a great start. But we really do want to be ready to give an answer to those who ask us. By God's grace, we're seeking to live together in this place and time in such a way that we provoke questions and accusations we want to live in such a way with the kind of faithfulness the kind of seasoned lives that we provoke questions and accusations and we want the center of our answer to be a testimony of Christ in us the center of our answer what are you doing why are you singing psalms at city hall why, why are you not just going along with all the mask mandates? Why, why are you doing it this way? Why do you send your kids to this school? Why do you educate them that way? Why do you go to church every Sunday? Why is it that big of a deal? And we want, with a, with a full heart, to be ready to say, Christ, Christ, Christ. That's why. Christ. And so we need to be able to connect those dots. So let's work through the text before us. 1 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. If you have Bibles with you, I invite you to open those. Look together with me at those two verses. Notice here that the first task of preparing to give your testimony is to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. The first thing it says is to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And so be ready always to give an answer. But first, sanctify him in your heart, you must revere God there. You must revere him there. You must honor him as your Lord and master. That's the first step. He's your Lord, he's your master, he's king, and you honor him, particularly in your heart, at the center of your being. That doesn't mean just there, but it's, it's the center of who you are such that it goes with you everywhere. Wherever you are, wherever you you live, wherever you are speaking to someone, whatever you're doing, um, he is Lord with you there and he's hallowed there, he's Lord there, he's master there, he's king there, he's holy there, he's set apart in your heart. It's that reverence that drives your readiness to give an answer. The two are connected. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always. Notice that the center of our answer is a hope that is in us. The center of our answer is hope. Sometimes when you think about maybe explaining why you're a Christian or why you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, why you believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God, the temptation is to say, well, I would say something, but then I'm afraid they're gonna ask me a question and I won't know the answer. Right? They're going to ask me, and it's going to be the, it's the one, and I don't know the answer. I'm not ready for that. But notice here, it doesn't say be ready for every question that's asked or ready with the zinger argument that they can't answer. It doesn't say that. It says be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. The, the center of the answer that needs to be given is an answer of hope. Not not the answer to every question, not the answer to every argument, not the ability to to shut down every argument. The center of our answer is a hope that is in us. And and don't think of Christian hope here uh, as some sort of light and fluffy optimism. Christian hope is not light and fluffy optimism. Rather, Christian hope is a joyful, gritty patience that is expectant For glory. That's what Christian hope is. Christian hope is this gritty, patient, joyful, uh, just endurance that expects glory. In in Romans chapter 5, turn there really quickly, uh, there's a couple of, it's, it's striking where Paul sees hope coming. At the beginning of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have also access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There's that peace with God, and so you're expecting glory. But notice that it says in verse 3, Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Christian hope comes sort of as the fruit of the troubles, tribulations. Tribulations, getting knocked down, falling down, and seeing God's faithfulness in it. And after a few times, you start to get the hang of it. Oh, this is what we do. This is what the Christian life is. It's challenging, it's difficult, but nevertheless, God is faithful, and so as you're going down, you've gotten hit again, something challenging, something difficult, and and there's sort of a grin on your face as you're going into the turf, right? Why? Because you you know that God is faithful and he's going to bring you back. You've run this play a few times. That experience has taught you hope. So think of hope as sort of that grinning face of a, you know the football helmet just going right into the turf, and there's, it's flying. That's hope. That's Christian hope. I'm going to get back up in a minute. I don't know how, but I'm getting to get back up. That's Christian hope. It's not light and fluffy. It's not just some kind of shallow optimism. It's, it's gritty, joyful endurance, expecting glory, glory's coming. The answer we give is to be done with meekness and fear meekness and fear which is what grows when you set the lord apart in your heart so as you're setting the lord apart in your heart what grows is meekness and fear and meekness is another one of those christian words that i think we've we don't know what to do with it it, frequently again it conjures up popular uh, notions of again something kind of light and fluffy meek uh, you could you blow it over, and it would just you know you, and it's gone. That's not Christian meekness at all. Think of meekness as calm confidence. Meekness is calm confidence. It's unruffled confidence. You heard this morning. I know that my Redeemer lives, and I will see him in this flesh. Meekness is calm confidence. That the storms, they rage. Things happen, it's ups and downs. Meekness is calm confidence. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that I belong to Christ. I know that I am in his hand. And so it's calm confidence and and fear. We're to give this answer with meekness and fear. You heard an exhortation earlier on that very point. As you honor God, as you hallow God in your heart, you know that he is almighty, he is omnipotent, he is the one to be feared, then you... Give an answer with this this combination of calm confidence, this joyful trembling. Having a good conscience doesn't mean sinless, but it does mean forgiven, clean, and put right. Again, this is what he says, give an answer, meekness and fear, having a good conscience so that when you're accused, you're not ashamed, they are. Again, a clean conscience doesn't mean sinless. Clean conscience doesn't mean I haven't sinned at all. A clean conscience means forgiven, clean, and put right. And you know you're doing this correctly when the accusations of your enemies only fall back on themselves in shame. So you know you're doing this correctly when accusers come and say, but you're not perfect. Who do you think you are? Think you're so holy? Think you're so good? No. Are you kidding? That's why I'm a Christian. That's why I'm a Christian. I'm not holy. I'm not good. Christ is. He died for me. He took away my sin. He said, "Well, you know, I remember when you were younger and you used to get angry. You know, and I saw you pop off. I saw you do this or I saw you do that." And you say, "I know. I know. Isn't it? And, And here I am. God saved me." He forgave me. He gave me the grace. not only He not only cleansed my heart, but he gave me the grace to put it right, and I went to as many people as I could, and I confessed it to them. I said, I used to get angry, and that was wrong. It was sinful. I'm a Christian. Will you forgive me? So the accusation comes. I used to see you get angry. And you say, I know, and then I was forgiven, and I confessed it, and I'm clean. And what does that do? It just took the gun out of their hands. They were, they were expecting you to be ashamed because that's how the world works. The world just it has a currency of guilt and shame, right? That's how the world works. They bring accusations and then they got a gun at your back and now you better do what they want you to do. Guilt, shame, manipulation. But if you're a Christian and you have a good conscience, you've just disarmed them. What are they gonna bring? You know, if it's a lie, then you just smile there and say, you know, no, that's not true. No, I I didn't do that. I haven't robbed any banks, sorry. A lot of other things I did, but didn't do that. And even that, it's like, but aren't you scared? No. What are they going to bring against you? right? If, if you have a good conscience, it means you've confessed your sins, you're forgiven, and you've gone and made it right as best as possible, and there you are, and now they're ashamed. They're the ones that are ashamed. They brought up something, and you had it. It's all taken care of. It's forgiven. You're clean. And then you know you say, do you have any sin you want confessed? <laughs> Can I help you with that? Uh, what do I do? And And... If people bring accusations against you and you feel shame and you're feeling shame, you really ought to ask, do I not have a clean conscience or do do I not understand how God makes you really clean? And refer back to Pastor Doug's message last week on confession of sin and being clean. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if if there's fear of accusation, if there's fear, they're going to bring something up. I did that one thing one time, and I, if, if they get a hold of it, they're going to bring it up, and then I'm, then I'm, then I'm doomed. Well, then the question is, have you made it right? Yeah, I, I confessed it. I, I made it right. I confessed it. Well, then you're free. You're clean. And that's the answer. They bring it up. You say, I know. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's awful. It's terrible. Jesus died for it. I confessed it. I made it right. Isn't God good? Just stand there. Smile. Stand there and rejoice in God's grace. Or is the, is the reason why you're tempted to feel shame because you actually haven't put it right yet? Then I mean, go put it right. <laughs> go make it right. Confess it, get, a heart, get your heart clean. Confess it to whoever you've wronged, make it right. Now what do you have? A good conscience. Now you have a good conscience. Now you're in a position to receive the accusation that might be brought against you. And remember, a good conversation in Christ has never stopped people from making false accusations. A good conversation in Christ, and the conversation here is uh, old King James for good lifestyle, uh, a good way of life, okay? A a faithful way of life, a good lifestyle in Christ, uh, has never stopped anyone from making false accusations. We know this because they did it to Jesus. Jesus had the perfect conduct. He, He had the perfect life. And they still brought false accusations against him. And Jesus said that the false accusations come against us precisely because you follow him. So remember that. Again, there's, there's always this temptation I think Christians have because we've been given new hearts that are tender, new hearts that are ready to confess sins. Sometimes the accusations are brought against Christians and Christians think, I must have done something wrong. I must have done something wrong. Uh, they're, they don't, they're, they're angry at me. And Christians need to remember that, yes, there's always a possibility you're still a sinner. There's always a possibility you've done something wrong. Consider it. But also recognize the possibility that you've done nothing wrong and they hate you because of that. Just like they did your Savior who you follow. But the center of your good conversation in Christ, the center of your good conduct in Christ, is your faithfulness in confessing sin and making it right so that you have a clean Conscience. So sanctify God in your heart. As you know, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6 19. It is holy space because God lives there. Your body is holy space because God lives there. But our bodies are not generic temples. Our bodies are not generic temples. They are unique and varied. And think about your body here, not merely as your just your physical space, but as the shape of your entire life. Think of your body as the shape of your entire life. You are a temple wherever you go. Christ lives in you. The shape of your life, the shape of your life comes from God working particular stories of grace in each one of us. The shape of your temple, the shape of your life varies based on what God's doing with you. Where you were born, who you were born to, how you grew up, where you went to school, who you married, the kids you had, the grandkids you have, and so on. All of that is God working a particular story of grace in each one of us. This is Paul's testimony. This is one of the places that where Paul gives a testimony, 1 Corinthians 15. He reviews the gospel, Jesus died, he rose again, he was seen by all these disciples, and then he finally brings himself in at verse eight, and he says, last of all, he, Jesus, was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Notice Paul's testimony there, right? I'm not worthy. He knows his sin. I persecuted the church of God. But nevertheless, God's grace was not in vain. By God's grace, I am what I am. By God's grace, this is my story. By God's grace, I was an arrogant, young Jewish scholar hothead. By God's grace, you say, well, that wasn't his grace. Well, it was because it was getting him ready to get knocked down. God says, this is the story you need. You're gonna grow up in this particular family. You're gonna go to this particular school. You're gonna get way too big for your shoes. You're gonna be arrogant and prideful, and I'm gonna knock you down. That's my grace to you, Paul. Paul had a special testimony, right? That's That's God's grace. He says, by God's grace, I am what I am. That's part of my story. Then he did, he knocked me down, literally, on the road to Damascus, and here I am, preaching the gospel. I know it's insane, I shouldn't even be an apostle. You ever notice that Paul's name is not on any of the apostle lists? Right? There are official apostle lists in the gospels. It kind of caused some trouble. The people are reading, your name's not on here, Paul. He says, I know, I know, I, I shouldn't even, I'm not worthy to be an apostle, but Jesus showed up in person and commissioned me, so I'm an apostle. You know, that's his story too. By the grace of God, he is what he is. And he says, by his grace, I've labored more abundantly than all the official apostles, than all the original apostles. Yet it was not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul's life is shaped by God's grace from beginning to end. That's his testimony. That's his testimony. So the first task of sanctifying God in your heart in your life of hallowing him there is simply submitting to him as a holy God, admitting your sin and turning to Christ in principle. All right, the very, very first step in giving your testimony is to sanctify God in principle. You are a holy God and I am not. You are the good God and I am not good. You are gracious and kind and giving and I am not. In principle, confessing that confessing that in principle, turning to Christ and saying, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ dying, rising, living for me. That's all I have. But then, but then, you have to do the same thing in particular with everything in your life. Don't just do it in principle, now do it in particular. Walk through your life, where you were born, who your parents were, Your childhood, your vocation, your spouse, your children, everything else, including your failures, including your weaknesses, trials, and sin. Walk through the same thing and say, that was God's grace. I was born to those two parents by God's grace. Now, I don't, you say, well, you don't know my parents. You don't know what it was like to grow up in my home. I don't. But God does, and he did it. God God does, and he did it. He had you born there. You say, but why in the world would he have me born there? Why would he have me born with that older brother or that older sister or those parents or the fact that they got divorced and then remarried or whatever it is? Well, the answer is right here, because he's a holy God, and he's drawing you to himself. He's a good God, and he wanted to tell a story of grace in your life. You say, but that was hard. (laughs) Right, right. It wasn't easy because he wanted you to know his grace. He wanted you to know that it was him, it wasn't you, it wasn't your, it wasn't you know, just this perfect little story. And then I did this, and then I thought of that, and then I decided, decided I will become a Christian. I, 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 which is not a testimony of Christ, is a testimony of you, which is not a Christian testimony. Right? Your, your, your story is the shape of God working his presence into your life. Do it not only in principle, do it in particular. Do it with your childhood. Do it with your parents. Do it with that, the difficult job you had for six months or seven years or whatever. Do it with your spouse. By God's grace, God's grace, I'm married. By God's grace, I have these kids. By God's grace, God's grace. Um, I have these grandkids. By God's grace, this was my job. By God's grace, I fell on my face there and then got back up again. By his grace. What you want to be able to do is mimic Paul where he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By his grace working in me. By his power working in me. By him pulling me along, dragging me along, carrying me along. He has been at work in me. Your testimony is telling how the Holy God has been at work in you, how you have contributed sin and folly and weakness, and how Christ is forgiven and restored all by his grace in order to display his grace in you. That's your testimony. You contribute the sin, he contributes the righteousness. You contribute the weakness, he contributes the power. You contribute the folly, he contributes the wisdom. And and you're like, is this really a good idea? (laughs) Yes, God says it's a fantastic idea because there you are and you're saying, all I have is what he's given me. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Isn't he kind? Isn't he gracious? Now, you've heard us say before that we are aiming for boring testimonies for our children in our community. And if you're new around here, I know there's a number of new people around here. Um, We are aiming for boring testimonies in our community there now you know now you've heard it what we mean by that is that by the grace of god we want our children growing up in the faith of their parents and embracing it with faithfulness passing from generation to generation like runners in an olympic relay race what we mean by that is we want our children growing up in the faith, embracing the faith, walking in the faith of their parents, and never knowing a time of rebellion or disobedience or unbelief. That's what we're praying for, that's what we're aiming for. And we recognize that there's a variety of real stories that there really, really will be a variety. We're not putting a, a straight jacket around God. But nevertheless, we want to be handing the faith to our children in such a way that they take it and they move on. Notice I didn't say, Faithfulness passing from generation to generation like two bumps side by side on a log. I didn't say that. Right? Faithfulness isn't passed like generation to generation like two bumps on a log. That's not faithfulness. There's, there's, that's dead. Right? You say, well, they're the same, right? But that's not, that's not what we're going for. We're going for life. It's more like runners in an Olympic relay race. And if you've seen it before, you know you know that there's this period where they're running side by side, and then at some point, the handoff happens, and if they're really, really good, you barely know when it happens. You barely see the handoff happen, and it's, I think, you, I, I don't know, I gotta do a replay. I can't tell, was it on that step or that step? I don't know. But then a minute later, you know, one peels off and the other one keeps going, and they, they clearly got it. And you know if they don't got it, right? Because it's, you know, it's on the ground or they fell or something. But, it's smooth sailing. That's, that's glorious when they, when they make that kind of handoff. We want to think of faithfulness with our children like that. We want to pray for it like that. God, give me the grace to run in such a way that my children will run alongside me, and then we will pass that baton of Christ off, and then they will keep running, and they won't drop it, and then in your good time, I'm going to peel off and go to glory. That's, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're, that's what we're um, aiming for. And that's what we mean by boring, which, again, in a sense, you might say, well, that's not that boring, and I'm gonna get to that in a minute. But there's also a sense in which you, you, could, you, you might miss it. If you weren't paying close attention, you might miss it. By faith, in God's great grace, we want our children growing up in Christ, which will often mean that they don't remember the exact moment when they first trusted in him which is glorious. And we want to celebrate that, glorious. And by that same grace, we pray that our children will never know a time when they were not walking with God. It is glorious to always walk with God. It's glorious to always walk with God. That's wonderful, to always walk with God, to have no rebellious phases. Some Christian traditions So emphasize the dramatic conversion story, you you know what I mean, sort of the, you know, joined the biker gang, you know, was was, uh, wild and and rowdy for a number of years, and then this Damascus uh, road experience, you know, and light, and then conversion, and it's just sort of this radical thing. Of course, don't hear me wrong, there's a Damascus road experience in Acts because it happens sometimes like that. And glory to God. But sometimes that experience is so emphasized that it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. That becomes sort of such the norm that that's the only way you could possibly be saved. And so you know you have sometimes uh, you know Christian kids uh, growing up hearing only these kinds of conversion stories, and they might begin to wonder how they could possibly be a Christian since they haven't even started selling drugs yet. Right? I mean. I have not even, I've, I've been bad yet, so how could I possibly be a Christian now? Right? Well, I guess, I guess I'm going to have to figure out some way to do something bad so that I can then have my Damascus Road experience. But scripture is full of ordinary covenant conversions. Scripture is full of ordinary covenant conversions. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. Luke 1. John, remember that. Guessing not, right? he was in his mother's womb. David learned to trust God on his mother's breast, Psalm 22, verse 9. Samuel came to know the Lord as a young boy, 1 Samuel 3. And we might note there, Samuel probably did remember that, but he was young. He was quite young. And, and so, again, it was, it was in some ways memorable, but in some ways, of course, Samuel was just growing up, hearing the word of God taught, and then God opened his heart. And Timothy, we're told, was taught the scriptures from his youth, 2 Timothy 3.15. So we want a culture that cultivates and encourages faith uh, from the beginning. Trust God from the beginning. We're running this way, kids. Run with us. As I noted, while we say uh, glory to God for boring testimonies, and we mean that, we mean just, again, passing passing faithfulness generation to generation, Trusting God from before you can remember. And nevertheless, even celebrating the ordinary boring testimonies of our children, we really do want to run back around the other side and insist that there are not really any boring testimonies. We love boring testimonies, but there really aren't any boring testimonies. Not really. This is because amount of sin is not what makes a testimony amazing or powerful. Gnarliness of sin is not what makes a testimony glorious. You know, again, those are there are some testimonies like that, and those are glorious. But it's not amount of sin that makes a testimony amazing or powerful, but rather the amount of grace. That's what makes a testimony glorious: is the amount of grace. How much grace was needed for your salvation? How much grace was needed for your salvation? Every son or daughter of Adam deserved the death penalty and hell forever. And therefore, every last Christian was purchased with the infinite price of the blood of Jesus. Every Christian received that payment, received that salvation whether you can't remember the moment you first believed, whether it was in a quiet moment when you were six reading the Bible or after dinner one time and you asked to pray with your mom or your dad or whether it was something more significant when you remember I was heading in a bad direction and God confronted me or you were in the biker gang and you really were knocked off the bike and you were saved like that. Regardless, what saved you? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus saved you and there's nothing boring about that and and remember when we say grace when we say amount of grace how much grace purchased you how much grace won you we don't mean a substance we don't mean like some kind of fluid Uh, we, we mean a person we mean the presence of the father beaming at the work of his son in you sealed and secured by the spirit that's what we mean by grace we mean the presence of the triune god the presence of the Triune God. Who is this Triune God? The Triune God is the most extravagant, adventurous, creative, brilliant, gracious being of all. Right? He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. He flung the galaxies into the heavens. He, he's the one who dug the Mariana Trench. He's the one who invented all of these myriad creatures all around us. What kind of God is that? Not a boring God. He invented the senses. He invented flavors. He invented animals. He invented all the best things in this world. If he shows up, there's nothing boring about that. He showed up, and you say, I don't remember the first time he showed up, but it's been a raucous ride ever since. There I was, you know, I don't know, I can't remember, but I do know that around three, I started feeling some really strange sensations in my life. And then when I was six, it, got, it was starting to get even more weird. I, mean, I would try to sin, and I couldn't. I don't know, it felt like something had taken over me. <laughs> That's Jesus. Right? And, and, and he drove me to obey, and my friends didn't want to obey, but I wanted to obey. And I loved singing hymns. It was weird. I was a boy, and little boys don't like singing. right? Or whatever it was. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to obey God, and I loved going to church. And some of my siblings didn't want to go to church, but I was like ready to go. And I don't know, something weird happened. You met God, right? Christ came into your life. The triune God met you, and he's been running the show ever since. That's a glorious testimony. There's nothing boring about that. I was about six, I think. When I was, this is one of my early memories of like, uh uh-oh, I got angry at some kids in the backyard and yelled at them and told them how it was as best as a six-year-old could. Run around back, jump on my bike, and I'm pedaling hard, I'm pedaling hard, and wham, hit the ground. And I, I looked up, and I, just my little six-year-old brain, I just remember this, that was God. <laughs> and I caught up. And I wheeled, like I'm skinned up, bleeding and stuff. I wheeled back to the backyard to my friends and said, guys, I'm really sorry about that. Will you please forgive me? And they're all like pagan guys, kids and they're like, yeah, whatever. You know? And I've known ever since that I can't get away with sin because Christ is in me. That's my, that's my testimony. It's kind of like Damascus. <laughs> <laughs> but not nearly as exciting, right? That's the story, that's that's Christ in you. What's your story? You couldn't get away with sin, you had to confess it to your mom because you tried to lie to her and you felt awful and disgusting inside and you went and said, mom, please forgive me, I lied to you. That's Christ in you. That's glorious. There's nothing boring about that. That's glorious. That's Christ in you. That's the triune God in you the living God in you, the, the God who writes the best stories in you, the God who created the heavens and the earth in you, writing a story in you. By God's grace, you are what you are. Tell it. <laughs> Tell it. It's glorious. It's beautiful. The process, think about this too, to sanctify this God in your heart, to honor him there, to see him there, to say, that's you, God. That's not me. That's you. To see him there is also is not only to see the presence of this God in your life, but also to see that there is something that's begun that's only going to get more and more glorious. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. The process of a redwood sapling growing up into a towering tree may not look explosive, dramatic, or glorious in any given snapshot. You walk by and you see a, a little redwood and you oh there's another redwood right but if you could see the whole thing from God's perspective all the atoms firing over decades over centuries it would make you close your mouth with awe and that too is part of the hope that is in you whatever has begun in me is growing into something enormous and gigantic and glorious and I don't even know what it is That's part of the hope of glory in you as well. Everyone in this room who knows Jesus has a testimony of this grace. Everyone in this room has this testimony of his grace. For many of you, it is a testimony of growing up surrounded by the grace of loving parents and siblings and teachers and friends. But don't take that grace for granted. It's glorious. Yes, you can say, well, I was born here. Great, good start. Isn't it glorious? You were born here. Isn't it glorious that the kindness of God puts you in a place where Christians surrounded you and taught you to love Jesus from before you can remember? That's glorious. Don't take it for granted. Celebrate it. I've been growing up in this crazy thing called Christian faith, and it's a wild ride. There's nothing boring about it. Perhaps you don't remember when you first believed, but you should absolutely remember times when you believed even more. Maybe you don't remember the very first time you exercised faith, but do you remember the times when you believed him more, when the faith got bigger, put on a little bit more bark, you got a little taller? What is this happening to me? God, I'm going to trust you. Maybe you don't remember the first time you were forgiven, but you absolutely should remember many subsequent times when you were convicted of sin, confessed it, and got all clean again. You remember those times? Those are testimonies of God's grace in you. Maybe you don't remember the first answered prayer, but do you remember the many others? Do you remember them? That's your testimony. That's God at work in you. I remember praying, praying, praying so hard, so hard, and God answered, right? That's your testimony. That's God in you. Maybe you don't remember the first time his word really encouraged you or helped you during a trial. But do you remember the many other times when you're reading the word and it was there and you know, God, thank you, this is from you. Or the word is being preached and you heard it preached and you knew, that's for me, God, thank you. It was food to your soul. It encouraged you. That means Christ is in you. That's your testimony. That's the hope that is in you. You have a testimony. And you know, when we say testimony, we, we mean giving witness Right, you're a witness. Witnesses give testimony. What are you a witness to? The fundamental thing that we are witnesses to is that Christ is alive. That Jesus died and he's not dead anymore. He's alive. You just said he's risen indeed at the beginning of the service. Do you remember it? You did. I heard you. I said it with you. Do you mean it? How do you know he's risen indeed? One of the fundamental ways you know you say, because he's alive in me. Because he's, he's messing with me. He's at work in me and he won't stop. Isn't it glorious? And if you're listening to this and you say, well, that sounds all nice, Pastor, but I think you're getting a little too excited. And maybe you don't know Christ. And don't forget that there's always a possibility to grow up in a place like this. Hear it all around you. See it all around you sing it, sort of go along and say, yeah, you know, it's fine, I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with all that. No, that, <laughs> no, that's not Christ. Christ didn't, didn't die and rise again from the dead so that you would say, I'm fine with all that. So that you might just carry on sort of being respectable and tucking your shirt in and not getting in too much trouble. He died on the cross to take away your sin. He rose from the dead in order to make you right in order to dwell in your life, in order to commandeer your life, in order to come dwell in you in such a way that your life would never be the same. And if you don't know that Christ, I I invite you to call on him. Call on him. Ask him to come dwell in your heart. Ask him to come commandeer your life. Ask him to come be that joy in your life. Tell him you want that glory. You want that kind of testimony. Our Father and God, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of his spirit that comes and dwells inside of us and makes us new. Father, thank you for all the stories of grace in this room. I pray, Father, that we would be a people who are ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us. That we would be a people ready to tell people about the hope that is in us, Christ in us, in all the ways that he has been at work in us. Father, we thank you for this, we ask for this in Jesus' name, who taught us to pray, singing. Never forget that Jesus did not come for the healthy. He did not come for the well put together, for the good. He came for the sick, for the troubled, for those who know they are not good. And one of the great temptations for people who go to church regularly is to slowly start believing that you are good, actually. You're actually doing quite well. I mean, look at us. We all clean up Sunday morning real nice. Part of the reason we're tempted that way is because God really is in our midst. He is at work in us, and he really is giving us good works to do, and he really is making us more like Jesus. So the point isn't to try to pretend that God isn't here or that he isn't at work. The point is that we must constantly remember that he is the one doing it, He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. He is our wisdom. We bring our sin, our weakness, our folly, and Jesus provides the righteousness, the power, and the wisdom. So this is how you can come to this table knowing your need. This is how you can come knowing that Christ must feed you and fill you and bless you or you will be sunk. This is how all of you can come honestly, whether you trusted in Jesus recently Or you've been walking with him for many years there is fundamentally one testimony it's all Christ it's all Christ he came for us he died for us he rose for us he washed us he filled us he's the one carrying us it's all him and thanks be to God so come and welcome to Jesus Christ is Christ in you do you know he's in you is he alive in you then you have the hope that the world needs. That's what they need, they need Christ. You know him, and you have hope to share. Don't be ashamed, don't be afraid, they need hope. Fundamentally, that's what they need, they need Christ. They don't need the perfect argument, the perfect logical syllogism, they need Christ. You know Christ, tell them, tell someone. Share the hope that is in you and live in such a way that you're ready to give that answer. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God, even our Father, which has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work, and amen.